Join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hey everyone, this is Andrew Bracewell and you are listening to Little Oak Weekly. Today we have a juicy episode. We get to spend some time with Stephanie, aka Steph Petrie. Uh, Many of you may not know Steph. She's a newer agent in our brokerage, but don't be mistaken by the terminology of new agent. Um, Steph absolutely kicks ass, comes to us with an incredible sales background, um, long history of success in her past, and uh, she's just an all-around cool individual with a lot of great knowledge in her brain, and we get to listen to some of it today. So we get into her previous career, uh, her careers, I should say. Uh, she spent some time in the tech industry and sales, a little bit of photography. Uh, we talk about you know some life passions, uh, her perspective of real estate nine months in, what she thought it was going to be and what it actually is, where her career is taking her uh, in terms of vacation properties and her knowledge of the Okanagan. And we talk about something really cool, um, the, the Kids Help Phone, which she's been involved with um, in volunteering, and some other kind of life stuff that you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll enjoy. So Steph is a great, great person. I got a lot of admiration and respect for her, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed talking with her. So without further ado, here is Steph Petrie. You've reached Steph Petrie from Remax Little Oak Realty. <laughs> Sorry, I can't take your call right now. So oh, leave me a Steph. message or shoot me a text and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Thanks and have a great day. After leaving a message, you can hang up or press pound for more options. Hey, Steph, it's Andrew just trying to connect for our podcast. I bet you followed instructions and put your phone on Do Not Disturb. And you're calling me. Perfect. Hello. Hey, Andrew. I thought. Do not disturb on my phone. <laughs> oh, I called it. I knew I knew that's what it was. That you were yeah, that was perfect. You were doing everything the way you were supposed to do it. I know. I really felt serious about that. So it's funny because when you texted me, that came up on my computer, not on my phone, because I just, you know, blocked my phone. So yeah. Here I am. Yeah. Do you need to call me back? No, we no, get- no. We're live. We we love all the <laughs> we love all the goods just, just the way they are. Yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> it's perfect. So are you, you're hanging out at your house today or what? I am, as I do most days. Yep. And I've got, uh, my kids are off today, so they're, they're looking after yes. my loud dog. <laughs> yes. Today is one of those, uh, I don't know, what is there, like a hundred protee days in a year or what's the, <laughs> what's the count now? Something like that. Yeah. I don't think they want to keep the kids for too, too much time these days, but. Or is it parent-teacher interviews? That I, I know that like it's a four-day weekend. I know I, I was surprised to find out my kids didn't have school either last yeah. night. Is it parent-teacher interviews or is that tomorrow? I know there's I one of them. So yeah, per my comments on the WhatsApp, yeah, you may. Uh, I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't really know. I'm sort of a uh, I'm like a Roz Walker. I'm like just show up with your shoes on and I'm good, right? <laughs> have you? When's the last time you went to a parent-teacher interview? Oh, elementary for sure. Like long time ago. A yeah. long time ago. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I will say my kids are, you know, they, they're kind of doing their thing. My oldest doesn't really love school, but she's getting through it the best she can. And, you know, it's, it's up to them, really, in my opinion. So, What are your kids' um, ages now? What, what grades are they in? They're in grade 11 and 12. Yeah, so I feel really glad for them to have a bit of a senior year 
experience this mm-hmm. year. You know, last year was kind of yeah, sucky a... for a lot of teenagers, I bet. So yeah, totally. Is there yeah. are they doing like whatever? Are they back to normal with like all the grad activities, or what's the program? Pretty much. Yeah, my oldest went on a grad cruise in October. Cool. And uh, she was. Apparently, they could take their masks off, but they couldn't dance. So I thought that was a little funny. It's like, it's like you can catch COVID, but don't catch pregnancy or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The double, uh, the the double standards right now are pretty awesome. Or the, the, the contradictions, I guess I should say, are pretty awesome. Exactly. Yeah. You just got to work within the model, right? Yeah. And yeah, my, and my youngest. She's an athlete in denial, but she's doing soccer anyway. She's she's a fast kid and a you know, she should be on a lot of teams, but she likes to stay pretty chill. So despite my husband's uh frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we tried for many years and you again you can't really push them into something or you get a Andre Agassi situation, right? I don't mm-hmm. want to coke it on my <laughs> in five years. So <laughs> Is that what it is? Push too hard, kids do coke? Is that the <laughs> that's just what? the guarantee? You know what's interesting? I have, um, and I have to be careful because I don't know who hears this, but I, I have a lot of relatives who've, who've done interesting things, but they're all addicts of some sort. Mm. So I think with genius and a lot of hard work and, and sometimes being pushed into something you don't necessarily love can lead to self-medicating. So I, from firsthand experience, I'm like, do your thing, do it hard, do it well, but don't let it be my thing, right? Well, if we're going to get deep right away, I would, yeah. I would, I would phrase it like, I, and I mean, I'm not, yeah, I don't want to make a joke of this, but when somebody loses all control or if they feel like their life is being completely dictated, then I think what the books and researchers and professionals say is they look to find something that they can control. thousand percent. Sometimes it's a drug addiction. Sometimes it's a food addiction. Sometimes it can be a number of things, but yeah. uh, when control is taken away, then we want to get something that we feel like we have control over. You got it. Wow, look at yeah, us. We ended up there in like three minutes. Yeah, That's crazy. There you go. Yeah. Hey, and you know what? There's no point in not going deep. I'm a big believer in that. You know, I think I'm a big ad- advocate of tough conversations early and often. And I think honesty is really important. It actually was sort of the, one of the chapters in an audiobook I just listened to on the 12 rules for life. And one of them was honesty. And and it's so true, like you don't have to be honest to the point of hurting people's feelings, but you don't have to be dishonest to the point of delaying, you know, what's going to be inevitable anyway, right? Yeah. Is that, that book, 12 Rules for, like, is that, um, that's Jordan Peterson's book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's, a, I've also read that. That's a great, um, he's quite, he's become quite the polarizing character in life. I'm a big fan, but I understand there's, there's a lot of people that don't like him too. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, I listened to the audiobook and it was recommended for me based on some things that I'd listened to on Audible. Yeah. And because I'm driving a lot, I'm really enjoying that. Uh, He's very emphatic. And I don't know if he's um, super religious or not, but that seems to come into his storytelling a lot. But I don't mind that. You know, I'm open to whatever people want to talk about as their example. He was raised, so he, he was raised in Protestant Christianity, but. I would say that today, like, I think he would describe himself as more of a mystic. So, and and he's, and he's incredibly knowledgeable. Like when it comes to like the historical facts of, of anything, you know, from those times, Bible related, he's, he's very, I mean, like, well, he's, he's a, he's a, I believe he's a doctor. He's very well studied. So he, he uses story and, and, um, and I guess the word would maybe be allegory in, in a lot of his, um, 
in in a lot of his language. But yeah, he's he's not I don't know for lack of a better term, he's not a Bible thumper. Yeah. But but he's got that in his background, and I I, I find it quite refreshing. Yeah, for sure. And I I'm a big believer in like read anything, read everything, take what you want from it. Right? Everyone's a teacher. Um, you know, nothing scares me. I grew up Catholic, so, you know, I'm already traumatized. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, yeah, I love to hear what people's take on things is, and I don't necessarily have to agree or absorb it. I'm not super gullible, but then I'm not on TikTok several hours a day like my kids, so uh-huh, uh-huh. I haven't been programmed. <laughs> is that, so that's your most recent book. What's, uh, is there anything else you've read lately that's been impactful? Yeah, the, the, um, Never Split the Difference was a good audio book. That's a negotiation one. I think I've read that in the yeah. past too. Yeah, exactly. And I, I found that really interesting because we're so, it's ingrained in us in our sales careers about kind of these win-wins and all these scenarios where people walk away happy. And this guy was sort of a hostage negotiator who's like, you know, there's no such thing as win-win. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if they win, someone dies or whatever. So, yeah. you know, it really was an interesting um, deep dive into the psyche of all cultures, right? And how people need to feel like they're getting what they need out of it. And it might not even be what they're negotiating for, which I think is really the underlying theme. You know, it's kind of these these basic fundamental needs of being heard and, and accepted and, and acknowledged that might be even more important than the thing that you think you want, right? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Tell me about that condo you just sold. Tell me about that. There's two of them, but... Um, oh, okay. I saw you sold one of the high-rises, um, 12th floor in that. What's yeah. that building called? Mahogany. 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 Yeah. 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 What's, who, so to walk me through that. Yeah. So that one is, um, it's firm, not closed. You know, we've got subjects yeah. removed, but yeah, beautiful building with the, the commercial underneath. And it's a good fit for my client who's going through some transition in his life and mm-hmm. uh he knows knows some folks in the building and that sort of thing that might be supportive to him so um yeah really excited about that and as you know a lot of my work so far has been more so in the Okanagan so um that was interesting to do the the research on what's around in the neighborhood and then I sold another condo to a young fellow that that you had filled me in on and uh yeah so he's had did that happen too Yep, yep. Said, so he, oh, okay. Awesome. What did, what, what happened with that deal? Yeah. So he just had his inspection yesterday and we're going to be chatting later today about removing subjects, which are due next week. But I think he's pretty much there. He's got his, his financing in order and everything else. So he's super stoked. He wasn't in a rush and I wasn't rushing him, but he kind of saw what the inventory was like out there, found something that was a really good fit for what he wants. It's ground level and he hopes to get a dog. And, you know, I said, Hey, as someone who's had puppies, having access to a little patch of grass without an elevator is pretty awesome. And which building is which building is that in? That was old oh, geesh. I'm trying to think of the name of the complex, but it's right off of uh, Old Yale Road. So it's Old Yale and what? Let's say I'm drawing a blank here. I want to call it. It's right where the little corner store is, and it's oh, wait. is it like at Park or Campbell? Yeah, I think Campbell. Like it's heading uh, towards Yale High School. Up the hill? No, it's actually closer to downtown. So it's just at the top of the hill. I don't know why it's escaping my brain. At Old the moment, Yale Heights? Nope. <laughs> Viva, on, Viva on Park? This is, we could play this nope. game forever. <laughs> no, no, it's a six-year-old building. Not oh, it's got to be, be the one on Campbell. 
Ah, whatever. It doesn't matter. But that's yeah. so we bought a little one bed or a two bed or something like that. Yeah, a little one bedroom, and yeah, he's super excited. He was living in a living in a camper van, so you know, he's any amount of space for him is going to be an upgrade. Wow. So yeah. you've done. So you're licensed now for what nine months? Yeah, about that two hundred something days. I have my little spreadsheet. I'm a spreadsheet geek, I'm trying to anticipate. You know, when you're building your pipeline and everything else, sort of extrapolate what my annual income might be or how yeah. many deals I might do in a year. But yeah, it's about it's about that. And yeah, I think my first deal was the beginning of March. I actually had a, a family member who wanted to move out of their townhome and into a house and they were just literally waiting for me to get my license so I could show them properties. I don't know if you remember, but one of the gals in the office took us through. Yeah. Natalie helped you out with that one, correct? Yeah. And then Amy Bradabo took us through our first viewing because I, you know, couldn't do it. I wasn't licensed yet. So oh, she, wow. Cool. She escorted us and yeah, so it was, it was literally like, you know, the ink was still wet and we were doing my first deal, which was a lot of fun. And what's, what, what are your deal? You, you mentioned the Okanagan. Yeah. So how does that break? Like, have you done like eight transactions, 10 transactions? Where are you at numbers wise? And how many are in the Okanagan? And just talk about the Okanagan and what that means to you a little bit. Yeah, I'm at eight. Um, uh, commercial deal in the Okanagan was personal. But um, yeah, I helped a couple find that was a referral through the office and the office referrals have been absolutely amazing. But I helped a retiring couple find a great little spot on a golf course up in Oliver uh, on Indian lease land. So I've had some amazing, you know, experiences already dealing with, you know, First Nations leasehold land and gap insurance. And they were also looking at manufactured homes and mobile home parks and, you know, learning about all these different uh, nuances hmm. as you go. And and when you get into recreational property, you're in a lot of these other territories, right? And mm-hmm. dealing with insurance during the fires and, and all this stuff. So it's been an immersion by, by necessity, but I've loved it. You know, I think that's the best way to learn for sure. You know, Cameron's always reaching out to me to see what I need, but I, I keep telling him I'm kind of a need to know kind of person, right? I'm high functioning in what I'm doing. And then as soon as I need to know something else, I'm going to you'll reach out go hard on that and learn all about that. And then it's so much more meaningful, right? So do you feel like you're kind of getting it or are, is there any areas where there's still blanks or you're a bit lost or wh- where would you say you sit nine months in, eight deals in? Yeah, where I sit, I think is extremely optimistic and excited. Um, I love it. I mean, you, you had said kind of in the preamble of what we might chat about, like, how are you feeling now compared to what you thought it would be? It's so much better than I thought it would be. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's just in for so many reasons, including like my past life and how uh, the tech industry had changed over the years. Um, being my own boss, essentially, you know, I love to call you and Ray and Natalie boss because it's like you actually aren't, and it, it's it's <laughs> wonderful because you support people in the way that they need it, which is essentially, you know, here's encouragement, here's training, here's support, here's some guidance so you don't get in trouble. That's what people need, right? They don't need a gun to the head. They don't need ultimatums. They don't need, you know, quotas that are unrealistic because most top performing salespeople are going to have their own goals anyway, and they're going to be their own hardest critics. So you don't need anybody else doing that for you. And so I've found it to be so refreshing. And yeah, I think, you know, I know that I have so much to learn. And in every situation, I would never even years down the road take for granted that I know everything I need to know. 
because, you know, every home is different. Every contract is different. Every client is different. So Mm -hmm. I think you can't ever get complacent, but that, that fear of screwing up royally is gone, you know, that you have in the beginning, like, how am I ever going to understand this whole contract? And it would take me hours, you know, to put together a CPS because I want to make sure it was perfect. And, and, you know, in, in tech, we did always have teams, sales operations teams that would do a lot of that for us, you know, purchase orders and, and all the contract stuff. We had lawyers and everything else to do that. So you essentially built the relationship, identified their needs, worked with them on it, found a solution, worked with them and negotiated on pricing. But after the fact, you know, including getting them deployed and up and running was up to other people. So I, I know this about you, but actually you and I have never gone in depth about your your uh, previous career. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about it because you were, here's the story I have in my head. The story I have in my head is that you lived out the high pressure downtown New York, Toronto, whatever, LA sales career working for big corporate America. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it, you know, at the time when I was in my twenties, I was super keen to do all that. I mean, I got to travel around the world. I started my career in tech as a software trainer. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching people how to use, you know, reporting and analytics software and spreadsheets and all that kind of stuff. Was that like nineties or when was that? Yep, that would have been the 90s. So I started at a company called uh, Crystal Decisions that was downtown in Yale Town in a brick building in 97. And I had just spent two years in Atlanta, Georgia, working for a software training company. And I was hired by a law firm, the largest law firm in the South hired me. And I only mention that because the software training company tried to sue me for leaving. And they just kind of tore up the piece of paper and laughed because they're like, does he know you have? 700 lawyers on your side, but wow. anyway, so yeah, I went to work for them and I I had always kind of wanted uh, to leverage my ability to understand complex things and convey them to others and make a lot of money doing it. Uh, But I always loved what I was doing. You know, I always made sure that it was something that I enjoyed doing, but I was ambitious in terms of, you know, working towards a great income and and having the courage to ask for what I deserved, you know, which I think a lot of women don't do. Hmm. And I, you know, often coach friends on like, no one's going to come up to you and say, here's more money, right? You have to go to the table and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, I spent 10 years with that company. They were eventually bought out and bought out and they're now a big SAP building in Yale town. And I was there for 10 years. And then because I had small children, uh, I just felt it wasn't a good fit you know, to be traveling around and golfing and that my husband's trying to run his business and take care of two small kids. So I resigned and decided to put that on the back burner. No regrets about that. And did, you know, some contract work for small startups who needed to build sales teams and do recruiting and and build, you know, Salesforce, CRM dashboards and things like that. It would help them get all that up and running. And kind of dove in and out of like working for a company for a year to going back to contract to doing some photography to trying to get my executive MBA, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Hmm. Do you have your EMBA? No, what happened is the company I was working for, I, you know, I I did the, um, the GMAT and I got a great grade and Queens offered me a scholarship, which is essentially just a discount. Right. Um, here's, a, here's an opportunity to give us money. <laughs> that, yeah, that's here, what that you is. can just give, you can just give us a little less than the, yeah. a lot of money it's going to cost you. Right. Yeah. And 
um, my sister-in-law who had done it said it's really hard on marriages and blah, blah, blah. Think mm-hmm. about whether this is something you really want or if it's just like something you always thought you needed. And my husband felt the same way. In their yeah. EMBA, sorry, because I've looked at this as well, not through Queens. Mm-hmm. There's, an, there's another one that's quite, um, I don't know, highly regarded in the East yeah. as well. And I can't remember. Uh, Rodford? No, I don't know. There's a school of business. Ryerson? Ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to draw a blank, but it, it might be Ryerson. It might come. It, it might. It might come to me. But it's like it's. I think in their program, it was. I want to say it was one and a half, maybe two years, and like it's incredibly intense, and you need to spend yeah. some time out there, right? Like, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why it's hard on marriages, is because of, you know you're physically gone and totally invested. Yeah, and you are like you're you're like a going through military training almost, yes. right? You'll be up late at night with these people and you're bonding and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. But but at the end of the day, my employer at the time, again a small startup, said, Oh, I didn't think you were actually going to do it. And he wouldn't give me the time off. So oh. he said like, oh I like he had even written a letter of recommendation for me for my application and everything. And then he's like, oh no, I can't spare you, right? Because I was the only person doing sales for them at that time. But in, in the end, it really was a blessing. It's not something on my radar at all anymore. It was good to, you know, go through the process of studying for the GMAT and taking the test. And, you know, it's like when I did the real estate test and you're just like, oh man, what's happened to my brain, right? <laughs> you know, it, things used to just stick there so easily 30 years ago, but yeah, it's yeah. Good, good to keep challenging ourselves. So, Who were you with? Um, I seem to remember you mentioning one time you were with a company that was impacted uh, by the terrorist attacks in 9-11. Were you connected to somebody there? Oh, yeah. That, well, that was my territory. So Manhattan was my territory during 9-11. Wow. Um, preceding 9-11. Yeah, for about a year and a half. And because I'm typically fast talking and impatient and, you know, like New Yorkers, right? I've had people tell me to F off and hang up the phone and eventually do a deal with me kind of thing. Sure. And I, and I like that, you know, I, I like a get to the point kind of relationship. And so, yeah, that was my territory. And my husband and I were there the week before 9-11, you know, doing the thing, going to tennis and touring around. And uh, I did have a meeting in the, what I thought was the World Trade Center, which is the two towers and another building um, in one of the towers, but it was at their office in Midtown. But I had gone accidentally to the towers exactly a week before for a a meeting with Commerce Bank. And they did lose colleagues in, in that terrible incident. And it was, it was really strange because things like that weren't really happening in the world. And so even our company as a large company didn't know how to deal with it. Sure. I remember going to my boss and saying like, I can't phone these people. Like they didn't, they didn't give me any quota relief or anything. And I'm like, dude, I, well, my boss at the time was an Andrew as well. And I'm like, I cannot phone these people. Like they're grieving. Mm. You know, I can't be like, where do we sit on the software deal? Right. And interestingly, I got promoted at the same time and didn't have to worry about it. So, but it was, yeah, tragic and very strange because nothing like that had ever happened to the world really. Right. That was before a lot of these school shootings, I think, and, and whatever else. So it was, I'm settling for everybody. There's a lot of stuff that we've take as normal, you know, and have you taken as normal for the last 20 years, but prior to 9-11 wasn't normal. Yeah. Security, like going through an airport prior to 9-11 was like, it was was a fun experience. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And uh, it's not fun. And it wasn't fun after that. No, exactly. Like, yeah. And my, my pre 
9-11 career was a lot of travel. So, you know, I had all the points and the upgrades and yeah, it was so fun traveling and getting your bumped up to business class and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, things changed. And now with COVID, it's like, you know, we were semi-prepared for something crazy, I think, in a way. But yeah, it's just even that's made things even stranger still. Mm-hmm. And as you, as you know, we were traveling last year during during all of that. So yeah. So how did you? So you ended up in Kauai for four months, correct? Correct. Yeah. So yep. had you planned a Kauai trip? Like you were already going to Kauai. This wasn't as a result. It's not like the pandemic hit and you said, "Shit, let's get out of here. Let's go to Kauai." You were going to Kauai already, or how did that all happen? Come about. The latter, yeah. We definitely had it already planned yeah. in a big way because it was a long trip. We had two places that we'd booked to stay at. We had um, we had brought our dog. So that was actually the biggest thing is that we had to get her, um, you know, two rounds of rabies vaccinations. Yet then you need blood work to prove that she's had it. That goes to a university, like literally thousands of dollars to get a dog to Hawaii. And just put some dates to it. Like when were you landing in Hawaii to start your trip? Yeah, so that was, that was Valentine's Day 2000. So we left. Okay. So a, a fair amount before pandemic then, like a few weeks before. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A good month. And actually, yeah. uh, we were about a month in when things started to hit the fan, literally. And a close friend of mine, her husband was at a dental conference and he got COVID and was in uh, Surrey Memorial for two months. He was on life support for three weeks. So a big part of the trip for me was like trying to emotionally support her. Wow. And then we're on lock. We were on lockdown there, where they had the national guard out, and you couldn't, you couldn't walk on the beach. Like you, everything was closed. So for how long? For quite a long time, like around yeah, about a month in, around March twentieth or so, it felt like things yeah shut down, like restaurants shut down. And so we had spent the first half on one side of the island, and I even said to the family who you know they wanted to surf, surf, surf. And I said, well, let's save Poipu and the, the southern side. Let's leave that until we go there and stay there. And then we can do all our exploring there, right? Because sure. they were just chasing waves every day. And I had envisioned like going for walks and going to the Hyatt and grabbing a coffee and happy hour and all that. But of course, none of it. It was ghost town when we got there because they had banned tourism. No one was allowed to fly in. And, you know, there were no cases on the island. Like I think at one point, you know, there was a handful at one point, but we really kept an eye on like their ICU beds and that we didn't want to be a burden, but we were following the rules like everyone else. And we were already there and had planned to be. Yeah. But because we moved to our second destination during that, um, during the lockdown, our the second place, all the, the few people there thought we had just said, let's go to Hawaii during the pandemic. Oh, no. So they were super hostile to us. <laughs> But uh, we rented a really shitty van and took care of that. Like, no one really bothered us after we just drove around in a rusty old vehicle and no one really noticed us. Was it like, uh, was it a house that you were in or a, a, a townhouse complex or where were you? The first the first stop in Kapaa, we were in a little house, uh, like a guest house up in the rainforest. Hmm. And unfortunately, they said they had Wi-Fi, but they really didn't. And we had put our kids in the virtual school. So they had to go down to the Starbucks every day with my husband to actually do some work. Um, but it was, it was really cool. I mean, it poured rain every day. So I wouldn't recommend people staying in the rainforest if they're living. Yeah. That's what it does there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was like, what are we thinking? But then when we went to Poipu, like, uh, that was a condo 
an older condo, right? I mean, we're on, we were on a budget and trying to live long. So it was like you get these, these people who live there year round who think we're coming to just escape wow. and have fun. But, but, you know, there were so many blessings to it because uh, our kids knew that their friends were, everyone was quarantined, right? Everyone had to stay home. And so it removed that element of like, are they getting bored? Do they want to go home and hang out with their friends? Like no one was hanging out anyway. Mm-hmm. So they really just did settle into this lifestyle of going surfing with dad twice a day and, and I'd make dinner and, you know, it was pretty cool that way. We so you could go down to the, you could go down to the beach and surf still, even when they were locked down. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because each Island has a mayor and then there's the governor of the Hawaiian Islands. So yeah. the mayor, the mayor of Kauai was a big surfer. So you <laughs> that's know, amazing. You, so you were allowed to surf, but you could not you could not sit on the beach. So I couldn't go with my dog and sit and watch Mike and the girls surf. I had to, if I was there and like when we were up in Honolulu, it's a little more hippie and remote there. So, mm-hmm. you know, not as many national guard. Then I would just kind of pretend I was jogging on the beach while I'm watching them. <laughs> but you know, that, that only lasts so long with me. So. Have you heard about the, um, I don't know, I would say the infamous beach camping that goes on on Kauai. Did, were you, did you see any of that? I guess people maybe weren't doing that when you were there. No, I mean, the first month, like, you know, it was pretty busy. The whole spring thing was happening there and the, and the um, you know, surf lessons and everything. The beaches were crowded. I did see, you know, you see a lot of people who are just kind of bums. Like, Hawaii's yeah. got a lot of homeless people and the locals hate it. But it's, you know, obviously. And actually, some states will, will put someone, give them a one-way ticket to Hawaii. Like if they want oh, to get rid of them. Oh, they'll just try to get rid of them. One, yeah. One of my, I, I think my, I would say my wife's favorite experience in life, you know, other than, you know, marriage to me, obviously. Hanging out with you, is, yeah. Uh, is she went with some girlfriends to Kauai and they rented one of these like vehicles designed for driving on the beach. Oh, and yeah. they camped on the beach the entire time they yeah, were there. cool. And yeah, she just fell in love with Kauai and thinks it's the greatest thing ever. And they were dirty and disgusting for a week, finding different beach campsites, building fires, you know, eating at local taco stands or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it's not the Ritz doing it that way, but she said it was just, it was magical. And so I, I wondered if you, you had encountered that or seen that, but maybe, maybe not given that you weren't doing that. Yeah, and I maybe I didn't notice them in the beginning, but yeah, they would have. They would have looked like homeless down. people. That's, that's what they would yeah. have looked like, other than the vehicle they're driving. Well, and that's the thing you do. Like every every parking lot you pull into, kind of like Tofino, like there's a bunch of vans with people, you know, changing in them and whatever. And so yeah, a lot of that, and definitely a chill chill vibe on Kauai versus some of the other islands. I love that I knew not to pack heels or whatever. It was like we could have packed three items of clothing you know what i mean you're just mm-hmm, literally mm-hmm. in the same same thing every day and yeah it's great i don't know if i'd do it again like there you know my family is a little more routine they love to go back to places they love where i'd rather explore something different every day but hmm. uh, awesome family experience and you know because i switched careers four years ago and a lot of that was because of stress and i'm you know, because I've had loss in life, I'm a big believer in, you know, making the most of this family time while we have it. So we planned it for that reason, you know, that we knew our girls were getting older and that grade 11, 12 would be more intense and not allow them to escape. Mm. So I highly recommend it for anyone. You know, a lot of people reached out to me privately and they're like, man, like, that's so crazy. I want to do something like that. I'm like, just do it. You know, I, 
I know we're fortunate in that, you know, we have more freedom with our work, but I think we all have a lot of excess stuff that we spend money on that we could parlay into other things. Like I sold $14,000 worth of stuff on Craig's, you know, on Facebook marketplace before we went, Hmm. you know, old kids toys and Lego and all this stuff. Like everyone's got stuff sitting around that they could convert into a memory, right? So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a memory of this summer where we're doing a photo contest in the office on Facebook and everyone's submitting their photos. And then all of a sudden you submit something that looks like a professional photo sitting on someone's wall of your daughter. So yeah. where do you, where does this ability come from? Cause your, your photo taking ability is above normal or above average. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's why I turned into semi-professional when my girls were younger, because people would say, oh man, can you take kids, you know, pictures of my kids like that? And that's what I did for a little while, but I quickly realized you make a lot more money in software. So, so you did do that. You did do. I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. Yeah. And were I'm you doing weddings like, or families or no, what were you doing? No, that's funny. Cause I was going to make my website. I don't do weddings.com. Um, <laughs> my, my husband and I eloped. I hate weddings. I hate sitting around. So I would never do that to somebody. And Actually, my niece asked me to photograph her wedding, and I did, but it was painful. I'm like, can I just come and and eat and drink and do what the other people are doing? But yeah, no, I loved working with kids because that was the phase I was in, and I and I love and adore kids. And uh, so I did a lot of that. I had you know strobe lights and a photography studio in our home in Maple Ridge, and and then I would do like 80 kids in a weekend at a kids clothing boutique or something. I was really good at marketing myself and getting myself out there. My marketing skills probably exceeded my talent, but it was, it was fun. And like I say, art turns into work as soon as people critique it and want something different. Right. It's, it's yeah. so, so I did find like it takes some of the joy out of it because a ton of the work is, you know, editing photos and posting them up to a cloud for them to share. And, you know, they might want some prints, which I don't even want to deal with that. So I would just give them the raw files and let them do what they want with it. Um, where I could have made a lot more money, you know, when people come in and you sit and you show them things and sell them a big piece of artwork. But um, that's not where my interest was. So, yeah, eventually I just went back to tech because it's what I knew and it was a much easier way to make great money. Mm-hmm. Just saying in photography is, you know, if there's no one in the photo, who's going to pay for it, right? And family photography has its limitations. There's so many people now doing it you know, for hundreds of dollars versus thousands. Yeah. I feel like it's a very oversaturated market. Yeah. And that, you know, I was just at the beginning of it, you know, they had digital cameras, but they didn't, you know, your phone now can take better pictures than my first Nikon. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. So, I mean, people don't even need wedding photographers anymore because the second shooter always gets better shots. Anyway, you might as well just tell people to take a ton of pictures and send them to you. And I'm sure people do. Yeah. 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 I want to go back to real estate for um, a moment. You had said something earlier, and I might bastardize the way you said it, but something to the effect of, I think you said things are going better than what you expected nine months in. I'm curious to know, what did you, what did you think it was going to be like versus what it's, what it is actually like? And then what are, you know, you're a person who's brought like immense experience and history into this career but what i hear over and over from people is that wow this is this is tough like there's some things that are really tough here so i just love to hear your thoughts around that 
Yeah. And I think, you know, coming from tech, you are sort of, I would say the cream of the crop in business. Like, you know, there's people who do pharmaceutical sales and that is kind of similar where you have to have some medical knowledge. You have to be able to communicate with high level professionals, right? In in my career, I was working with, you know, executive people at Microsoft or whatever. You have to be able to walk into a room and and understand technology and and understand business and find behaviors of the C-suite and all these kinds of things. So I was always in a very intimidating environment and, you know, presenting in a room full of people who are just staring at you. Like, so it's, I was really used to having to prove myself again and again and again, especially as a woman in tech, you know, it's just, they want some young hotties, but it's, it's really hard to suffer that career for a long time, unless you're going above and beyond. And I'm not like a whole Me Too movement kind of person either. I, but I do think women, you know, they have to be exceptional in that business to do well. And I do see in real estate something very similar. I see a lot of exceptional women and men, of course. But I'm saying like women have now gone like, hey, this is a natural fit for me. I love people. I love homes. I love helping people find something that they're going to be thrilled about. They might understand design a bit more, how to stage or what would look good or what the potential is. So that was what always appealed to me. What I didn't anticipate was that, you know, how the market just or life in general determines where you're going to end up, right? I thought I would be more like counting the pavement to get listings in my neighborhood. But what what it turned out to be is people I know and people who know me saying, hey, you know, the Okanagan, these people want a waterfront home. And I've sort of naturally migrated to a space that I adore which is recreational property. And I, you know, because my husband and I have had recreational property for most of our married life, bought and sold and and been around BC and he's in forestry. So he has a business in the Okanagan. And so I'm just having the time of my life. Like, you know, people say, well, why do you want to drive all that way? Well, you know, I feel like I could be a long haul truck driver. Like I just sit in my car that I'm earning and I love and I'm listening to audiobooks and I'm learning every day or I'm listening to the Remax podcast that you do. And, you know, you're showing people a space that they're going to create memories in. And then, yeah, so I love working with buyers mostly. And, you know, that may change over time and you have to, you have to do what pays the bills kind of thing. But I'm really, really fortunate in the sense that I, you know, I'm not paying for my kids uh, sneakers with this career. So I, I can be a little bit more, uh, leaning towards the things I'm enjoying, right? So do you think your intention then is to grow your footprint specifically in the Okanagan because that is like your backyard rather than trying to go and get a bunch of business in Abbotsford? Or what do you, what do you think it, the, the future holds? Yeah, my vision would be to be a go-to, like to be known as a go-to with realtors as well. I mean, I've spent a lot of time building relationships with realtors because, mm-hmm. you know, half of my business has come from referrals. And initially I thought, well, this is kind of a fluke and I'm getting lucky here. And then, you know, it would happen again. And I'm like, well, this is actually an amazing niche. And, you know, like where it's like, okay. And I, you know, some of the realtors in the Okanagan are really threatened by it. Have you encountered that already? Oh, yeah. And especially in the small towns, like I've had women say, stick to your own neighborhood. I had a sign up on our property that had a realtor on it for 15 years. I put my face up there and someone complained to the city like they do not want. Oh, yeah. They don't want me there. But I've had, 
you know, I've shown properties and I've sold properties and they're getting to know me and, and I'm very communicative. Like, you know, I show a property, I give someone a full write-up of what our impression was. And I, I'm doing the things that are going to nurture those relationships as well. Mm. Because in my mind, it's like, why wouldn't you want to refer to someone who's not your competition at the desk across from you? Right. Yeah. You know, why, why not use a buyer's agent who's not competing with you or I don't know. So I think some, some people who are a little more less short sighted see that. And I, and I've had feedback, you know, when I sold a property in the shoe swap, um, the realtors there, she phoned me and she said, like, I am so impressed with how you've dealt with this whole thing. Like it's above and beyond what we've seen from the Fraser Valley, because like you drove up here and you showed them the property and you, you've done all this work where a lot of them just say, can you show the property? And they take 25%, right? Mm -hmm, But, mm -hmm. but I mean, if you're not showing the property, what are you doing? You know, besides writing up paperwork, I want to at least feel like I'm earning my keep. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, that's how you learn. You know, that's how you learn about septic tanks and setbacks and riparian issues and all these things for the waterfront. So um, I'm enjoying the challenge and, and also, step, you know, trying to set a standard for what, what it looks like to, you know, help someone buy property, right? You mentioned at your time with in tech, there was like, I think you made comments like, you know, it's, it was tough for a woman and, and I'm, you know, I'm assuming that's obviously around, you know, gender related stuff. Do you, do you feel like there's, to what level is there challenges for you and people like you right now in this moment in our industry? Is there like, what is, what do you have to wake up with in the morning and think about as a woman that a guy wouldn't be able to relate to? Uh, I don't see it. Like, I don't, you know, other than like chatting with women about things like um, safety issues during an open house or walking through a property with a stranger. But for the most part, like, for example, this weekend, I'm showing people some properties in uh, the interior. I've never met them before. They're a referral. And the person who referred me doesn't really know them well. However, my husband's driving me, and this is kind of a bit of our retirement plan that he's going to be my driver. I use another word that I can't really say. But... <laughs> I like that. I could, I could yeah. think of some. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's working for me now, but and, but uh, you know, I kind of feel like I have my bodyguard, and I, you know, but at the same time, it's kind of people I sort of know. I'm making sure like it's not, you know, because I worried about that. I thought, well, what if some guy some random guy I've never met phones me and says, I'd like you to show me some properties. And I'm, and there's some scary shit that's happened. Like it's real. And I, and I really think I would just say, I'm sorry, I don't know you, but I can refer you to some people. You know, I typically work with referrals or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, of course there's always safety stuff that women have to think about when they're alone. But other than that, I certainly don't see any limitations in terms of ability to to make an income. And we've seen that in our office with the heavy hitters, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the beauty of like, when I worked in tech and sales, the beauty of the leaderboard was if I sell something, I get paid, I get paid the same commission as a guy. And I love that is, you know, you're on an even playing field. Then the only limitation is your leadership, whether or not they promote women, whether or not they give you the support you need, whether or not they give you the territory that you deserve. Right. Mm. But in, in real estate, I mean, there's no limitation for a woman. You could work until you're 80, and I've seen a few of them. You know? Absolutely. Like, there's, there's people in Maple Ridge selling real estate that were selling when my dad did it 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, geez, like they should be chilling with their grandkids or great grandkids at this point. But 
they're still selling because, you know, they can, and it's a great market right now. And yeah, so the only limitation I would see for someone who has to go and meet with strangers and go up on a high rise alone or whatever, I appreciate that would be a bit stressful, but I haven't had to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I snooped on you a little bit this week. Cool. I learned something. I think I learned, well, I learned something I didn't know. Kids help phone. Yeah. What is, what is that? Yeah. So when I left my job, let's see, that would have been February, 2018. So that three years and a bit ago, um, when I left due to stress, I like, I really, we'd had a car accident and I was having panic attacks and, and I literally just had to like unplug for an unknown period of time. My whole, boss whole family in the car accident or. Yes. Yeah. We oh, were wow. on the Coquihalla and a, a double semi-trailer um, crushed us into the, like in the snow shed, you know, the tunnel yeah. in the Coquihalla. Yeah. He pulled, we were in the fast lane and he pulled into that lane and pushed our truck against concrete. Yep. So it took our front tires off and we were just stuck there like sitting ducks, like in this blind spot. Oh my and God. And how, how we didn't get rear-ended by another truck that a motorcycle uh, hit us. He flew off his motorcycle and slid down the down the um, tunnel. Oh my gosh! Uh, which was traumatizing because that's how my brother passed away. And it was and another truck like and cars were pulling around trying to help us. It was it was unbelievable. And the truck kept driving. They didn't even stop for us. Whoa. And apparently they're they're so big they maybe didn't know. But but anyway, um, yeah, I had had a series of stressful events, including, you know, watching my dog get eaten by a coyote, that kind of thing. <laughs> it, was like, it was like one of those years. Oh, how, what, how many years ago? Four or five years ago, you said? Yeah, this was about three years ago. And oh. I, had, I had had a boss in tech that was like a maniacal nut. Like he was, he, I think he was hired to clean house and he had fired 12 people. And this was a hundred person startup. So there was me and like two other people left and I was determined not to let him get to me, but he did internally get to me Sure. because he was, he was abusive to everybody, but I was closing deals and he had no reason to fire me, but I should have left a lot sooner. Anyway, so I reached this sort of traumatic point. I wrote this article called Fuck It on LinkedIn. I've since removed it because it wasn't very good for trying to get a job a couple years later, I realized. <laughs> That's amazing. She like looks I, angry. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a couple, a couple people in interviews go like, so, like, I read that article you wrote. I was like, yeah, you know, hey, I'm a very open book, but, you know, unfortunately, not everyone That's uh, amazing. Sees, sees, sees the strength and confidence in that, right? I believe in writing about your discomfort so it helps others, including the help phone. So when I when I took the time off, uh, I thought I'm not going to sit idle. I did go back to school. I went to USC to take some psychology classes. I wanted to learn about what was going on in my brain, you know, with anxiety and, and depression and different things. And I've experienced that in my life already with postpartum and losing my brother and different things. So I was enjoying that. I thought I'm going to, I need to volunteer somehow. So I became a, a volunteer crisis responder on the kids help phone. So I was, you know, helping kids by text. More than half of the kids who use the kids' help phone now use the text option instead of sitting on the phone, which makes a lot of sense. Totally make, I've never thought of that, but that makes complete sense. Yeah. So, you know, you go through like 40 hours of training on what you can say, what you can't say. It's very, very managed. There's someone overseeing your conversations at all times, correcting you if you're doing something that's not in line with their training. 
Um, we learn all about, you know, First Nations and, you know, the Indigenous population and the terrible things that youth are going through in that population. And so we can help people appropriately, right? And yeah, so I had over 500 different conversations with kids. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that none of them, you know, passed away while I was working with them. We did have to call the police on a couple situations, which is sort of an escalation thing we do if someone's imminently in danger. But you know, I really did find peace in helping kids understand that they weren't alone and that they were okay and that there was going to be a time when they felt better. And yeah, I'm just a big believer in in giving back. And I think there's a big mental health crisis um, everywhere right now, right? So hmm. I find I find those skills have come in handy with my kids, with friends who are going through stuff. Um, you know, I know a lot of people have come to me about their children either cutting or having uh, eating disorders. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that people don't talk about, um, but it's it's pretty common and, and frightening. But anyway, that was something I could do and I enjoy it. Once I got my real estate license, I put that on the shelf because I always did night shifts. I felt that that was when I, that, that's when I was most needed. You know, in the daytime, they have a lot of volunteers. And since COVID, I mean, they've had an unbelievable number of volunteers. Like I went on when I was in Hawaii, I logged on to see if I could help. And there were 40 people sitting there waiting. Just waiting for a message to come in saying, I need help. Exactly. Where wow. when I started, I would take a night shift and I would be the only one on with a supervisor and I would have six people waiting and I'd be having conversations with four people at once. Like oh I'd have my. four windows going. Yeah, it was super stressful because they were understaffed and, and they needed me. And I knew they, you know, if I didn't do that shift on a Sunday night, what would they do? Right. So now I don't, I don't feel the, the obligation anymore and I still promote them and, you know, donate to them and so on. But yeah, that, that was an enjoyable period of time. And I recommend it for anybody who wants to feel a little bit better about them, their own situation because, you know, everyone's going through it. Right. They must've put you through some level of training before you're, they release you to the wolves or how does that work? They did. Yeah. Like I said, they, it's about 40 hours of online training and, and you have to, you know, they'll do some some mock, like with texting, it's quite easy if they send you a mock conversation and you're responding right after you've taken the training. And, and then they'll and test they'll you based on that. Okay. Yeah. So the things like not asking more than one question in a row feel like you're interrogating, right? right. Yeah. Um, and, and they become second nature as you start to do it, but, um, and not getting personal. Like, you know, that's something that I struggled with because I'd want to share with someone, you know, I felt that way, or, uh, you know, I know, I know how you feel like you're not supposed to really share anything about yourself. You're supposed to keep it more third party. And here's a tool you can use on our website, that kind of thing. But I did tend to spread a bit of mommy love on the kids. And while it was just me, I kind of got away with it. Once, once there were more people and more supervisors, they're like, Hey, I don't think you should tell them this or that. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I had my own style, I guess, but. Yeah, it was good. Do you like to feed people? Yes, yeah, I do. You must. You had a you had a girls only party that I considered uh making a formal complaint about. But yeah. you know, I, I, I held I held back. But uh I saw the pictures. Yeah, the next time I have a party I'll make sure I let you guys know so that you can drive all the women home after. I would do that. I would absolutely right? do that. If there's some leftover yeah. food and whatever, I would I would totally do that. Yeah. No, what I, did you serve that night? Go go over the menu. What did you do? I I think actually a lot of it was skip the dishes. PBH. Oh, like I, did you? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's like why I it looks so fancy. 
yeah, I ordered a bunch of pakor and that. Of course, I did like the standard, you know, veggie trays and all that kind of stuff. And sure. I do love to cook, you know, up at the cottage if people are visiting us and stuff and doing big, big dinners with family and that. But um, I've learned that when you're you, when you want to socialize, it's a little bit easier to have yeah. other people take care of the food. So yeah, we ordered in sushi and and some pakorans and and uh, so on. But it was it was great, and I think you know, as much as the guys were kidding around, it's really important for women to connect because they, they're often, we're, we're taught from a young age that women are our competition, right? In, mm. in many aspects in life. And I just don't believe that, you know, I believe in rising tides raises all ships and I want to have great relationships with the women in the offices. Many of them do. And I'm just a big believer in um, building that community. And it's not, anti-men you know i kind of joke like if any of the guys want to come and and not talk about <laughs> scotch and whatever then great but it is you know it's an opportunity for women to like take off their shoes high heels and just relax and not worry about being a woman like you know there's a lot of stress that goes along with presenting yourself every day as a woman in business and trying to live up to the bloody photos you have up on the internet and all that right um so i just think it's really powerful when women decide to get along and to share it's it's only good for everyone in the business amen to that yeah that's good and there's so so many amazing women too so it was like totally yeah, even even anything i can learn from any of them is is bonus for me there was a there was a neat connection that was made there at your place that night too where um there were some people some newer people brought along and and i know uh that there's a some people that are now working together as a result of a connection that was made uh, at yeah. your at your place, which is super cool. So that's awesome. It is awesome, and that that's what happens, right? And I think Meritus brought along someone who was thinking of joining her yep. group, and yep. and it's just yeah, it's I mean, why not, right? And it's good for good for Remax. I'm a big, I'm a water carrier, as it's called. You know, I tend to once I sign up with something, I'm like a cheerleader, and like Remax Little Oak is where it's at, and. And I do believe that we have an exceptional level of talent in the group, mm-hmm. as is shown by the stats and everything else, and including yourself and all the leadership. So I'm really proud of working at, you know, this brokerage. And so I think, yeah, let's just all rock it. Totally. I can't, I can't let you go. I, I appreciate every minute of your time, but I can't let you go until I find out what your plans are for Halloween and what your costume is going to be. Oh, yeah. And someone's having a party next week, too. So it's. Usually I dress up just for the neighborhood kids. Yeah. And for some reason, I found this like joy in doing face makeup, like sugar skull makeup. And now that that's culturally appropriating and so on, even though I feel like I have a bit of a past being formerly Catholic-ish. But, <laughs> but anyway, this year I'm doing kind of a fairy thing with a, a blue long wig and, and whatever, but doing some fun makeup with it. And uh, I think my husband's going to be Bob Ross, so that should be fun too. You know what? I, I went to a party a number of years ago where me and three guys, we kind of all collaborate, or four guys, we collaborated, <laughs> and one of the guys was Bob Ross. That's there was, awesome. And it was amazing. Like, it was really, really good. He had his whole little... Uh, what do you what do you what do you call the thing that the paint sits on that you walk around with? You like would a, know. A palette. A palette. He had his palette. He had the hair. Yeah. He had, yeah. uh, you know, his, his br- he had brushes. Yeah. You know, he talked all night about there are no mistakes. There's only happy accidents. It was, it yeah. was, it was amazing. I love Bob uh, Ross. Do you know that my youngest daughter, she has requested 
uh, many times to fall asleep listening to Bob Ross talk on a YouTube Aww, video. Oh, that's so cute. Because his <laughs> voice is just so soothing, soothing. right? Soothing, yeah. And that's something I've given this thing to my kid. It's hilarious. So I love podcasts, hence, you know, this, this thing yeah. that we're doing. And my kids have observed that I oftentimes fall asleep with a podcast on. That's just kind right. of a habit, yeah. I, habit I got into, which is probably yeah. uh, dumb because you probably miss half of it. But I like the sound of human voice. It actually yeah. relaxes me. So sure. my son falls asleep with podcasts and my daughter wants to fall asleep with Bob Ross. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Well, I just listened to Matthew McConaughey's autobiography on Audible. So Oh, you, I haven't, I own you, it, but I haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. If you Green can think lights. Of a more soothing right? voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I mean, like it's McConaughey, like, come on. Yeah, he's, so he's, a, he, I mean, we all want to be him. I want to be him. He's amazing. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And the stories he tells, it's like, oh, to go through life is a gorgeous guy. Like how yeah. gorgeous white guy, like how privileged and easy is your life? But he has had a interesting and not so easy all the time life and totally i give him more credit after hearing some of the stories but yeah he's got a good voice so you're gonna and be that was actually yeah go ahead sorry i was just gonna say with the jordan b peterson rules for life i actually didn't love his voice you know sometimes you have to listen oh, to yeah. the, listen to it first but yeah yeah jay shetty was another good one too. think like a monk i haven't heard of that one i'm i'm reading um i have two good books that i'm working through right now one of them is i reread there's a book called think do say by ron tight he's a <laughs> canadian author fabulous entrepreneurial marketing type book i i actually think i feel like 99 percent of the stuff that's written in that stream is garbage and it's just regurgitated kind of whatever clickbait is how totally. i feel yeah and yeah and this is one book that I would say has drastically shaped my thinking in the last few years. It's so good that I recently reread it. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm in, uh, I'm, I'm still finishing that one. And then another one is called the, it's either the cost or the price of tomorrow. Uh, I think it's huh. called the price of tomorrow. It's a book about basically Western world inflation and deflation and oh, yeah. uh what's going on with our debt and how technology plays into that and how yeah. and how the advance of technology is actually a deflationary mechanism in the in the sense of how it removes jobs and so yeah. and and what that how that's going to impact us here as we go through the next 10 20 30 years so it's a really heavy it's not heavy in the sense that it's hard to read or listen to but it's heavy material and actually quite devastating to listen to actually like yeah and you know i i read an article yesterday about how we're at an all-time high for for uh, inflation now like for the last 20 years yeah inflation is raging and but, you know, there's a lot of mechanisms in society right now that are actually on the rise and they're deflationary. Um, energy is one of them. Like, you know, energy for many, many years has been derived. We, we've basically removed energy from the earth via human labor. And it's actually been an incredibly inefficient way to, you know, heat homes, drive cars. But that's all right. changing with yeah. solar and wind. Not yeah. only are we becoming way more efficient, 
and we're going to be able to do more with less, we're not going to do it off the backs of human labor anymore. We're going to do it with right. robots. And yeah. that the impact that that's going to have, I think in the Canadian economy, energy accounts for, I want to say it's like 10% of all jobs within Canada. Mm -hmm. And so if yeah. we are going to use technology to create a more efficient way of, of, of creating energy, what are we going to do when all of those people are out of work? Exactly. Because that, that's what's happening. And that's only one example. There's, there's, there's far more examples of how technology is in fact deflationary. Um, so this book, it's, it's heavy, but it's, it's a really, uh, I would say, intelligent read. Important. And important yeah. and relevant. And so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of that one right now as well. Good for you. Question for you. Yeah. Do you do you miss the day to day? Like I know you're still selling properties, and but you're doing more of other things as well. Do you miss that, or do you like the the transition to more leadership? And I I'm I mean I definitely still have my leg in the sales realm too. Not for, not to the degree. Sure. Yeah, my day looks different now than it did uh, you know four years ago. I don't miss it, not because I didn't enjoy it, but I would say that I enjoy what I'm doing now even more. Yeah. I love, I love this business. And I mean, it's been amazing to me. Like it's given me incredible opportunity and it's done amazing things for my family. And I feel, feel like it's given me this like platform where a lot of my natural abilities look incredible. Whereas I feel like I could be in a lot of other positions in life and not look incredible. Yeah. You know, I just, I happen to like, land into something that was well suited for me which is you know a lot of luck and chance well no it's it's not luck and chance but that that's well you know so yeah yeah you, i i you know what i'm saying it's it's yeah, yeah so i i feel like it's been awesome to me but i yeah i really really am enjoying this new challenge of you know this industry that I love and that I care about and people in it and trying to now create and be a part of something that can be better, faster, stronger, more amazing for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, exactly. And, and I really, really enjoy the feeling of knowing that I've made a mark in someone's life. That just that, like that gets me up in the morning. If I hear a story from somebody where they say, "Hey, like you know, thanks so much for helping with this," and then I see evidence of it in their career has changed or a growth pattern has happened or they've gotten over a hump, that's like endorphin releasing for me. That that that's sure. you know so so yeah. I I I'm as time goes by, I'm obviously going to have a little less going on in the sales realm but i'm just as excited about what i'm doing now and I'll, I'll also say like i don't have any intent of not selling because i think continuing to be in the game and be relevant in the game is actually yeah. what's going to give me a competitive advantage from the ownership perspective like this industry yeah. is i mean uh, it's, i say this respectfully but the industry is is old and it's got a bit of a crisis in that the vast majority of broker owners are baby boomers that haven't thought through succession and so right. this is where I actually think the opportunity is for a person like myself in that, you know, I can, I think that I can, and then when I say I, I mean, we like everybody in the brokerage, but I think that I can bring a perspective that is different than what most of the competitors can bring because most, if not all broker owners 
aren't, haven't done what I've done recently in the sales industry and certainly aren't still doing it. Yeah. So I, th I think that's, yeah, I'm excited about what that means for, for Little Oak um, in, the, uh, in the near future. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Hey, thanks. I really enjoy chatting and hanging out with you. Thank you. You as well. It was a lot of fun. We'll uh, hopefully see each, other, see each other sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, have a have good a day. Have a great day. See you, Steph. Okay, yep. bye. Bye-bye.